0: Today we are going to continue in our journey through the New Testament letter, first Corinthians. This particular letter is uh, was written with the audience in mind of the city of Corinth, but it wasn 't preserved for them exclusively. it was prepared and preserved for you and me as well um, that 's why we have it in the in the The canon of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, we have this letter. It was written to uh, a a group of people that their culture was really messed up. The values um, were different um, than really stable and, and solid foundational values. Much like what we're seeing today. We're living in a time that was very similar to Corinth. You know, Corinth was a time when they were trying to remove God by creating many gods. So everything could be worshiped and you didn't have to worship an exclusive thing. And then if you remove the creator, you then, to remove him, you you deny him, but then you start undermining any of the principles or truths that that deity, the one and only God would have presented. And so in in Corinth, the marriage was undermined. The role of of a man, masculinity was undermined in Mark. Um, The role of the family was undermined. All the things that, quite honestly, we see in parallel uh, taking place in our culture. And so, realize this. I've called this series, you know, Called Out, Called Up. And what we call the church, what the Bible describes as the church, is made up of individuals who physically live in this world and were exclusively in this world, but then you had an encounter with the living God. You had an, an encounter where the truth was brought to you where you realized that you had sin you had things that you had done wrong that realization brought about really ultimately what we could call repentance, recognizing that you need god 's forgiveness and in recognizing you needed god 's forgiveness that it's the grace of God that brought the truth of God to the to you and to I individually where we recognize I need his forgiveness and and, and, and this Details vary, but the the core doesn't change. And what I'm saying is, you accepted Christ, you would say. You responded to God's grace, whether you see it as his providence more than your personal will, or vice versa, I don't really care. What I'm concerned about is that born-again experience. When you had that, when you said, God, I need you, I need your forgiveness. When that took place, the Bible tells you and me that you were born again, born of the Spirit. You weren't transferred out of this place, you're physically still resident, but you were born from above, living in a horizontal plane, now born from above, born again, you have the the reality and the principles and the truths of this world, if you would, they're infused or to some degree invaded through this regeneration of new life, and now you're getting to learn how to live here with eternity in view in this world. And so, ultimately, what we've been invited to, God has given us an invitation, if you would, to live and love at a higher level. That we would live and love at a higher level. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And that's really the struggle most of us are willing to acknowledge. It's tough to know how to live for God in an ungodly world. In a world, in a workplace, in an environment, in, in an ex- where you're exposed to dis- different entertainment or different just input, that you realize this is not what I value. This is not what I long for. So I want to go over uh, five things that the church in every generation, every age, since the resurrection, since the resurrection of Jesus, the, they've had some common characteristics. Okay? This is some common characteristics with the early church, and what we call the contemporary church. One, Jesus is Lord. That's what distinguishes the church. It's not the subheading or the the denominational doctrinal identification. The first and foremost thing is that Jesus is Lord. With Jesus being Lord in the church, it means quite simply he gets to call the shots. Ultimately, we know that. Lord means, you know, he's the master, the, the one you're submitted to, surrendered to. Previously, you, you served yourself. I would serve myself. But when I received new life through Jesus Christ, was born of the Spirit, that meant I surrendered everything to him. He is Lord. So that's a common characteristic in every generation, in a, in a healthy church, in a true church. Jesus is Lord. Also in a, in a, in a church, since every gener, in every generation, Culture conflicts with the clear word of God. Culture, what you're, what you're living in and where you're at, whether you're in Mountain Home or whether you're in Nebraska or New York City or Zimbabwe, culture will conflict with the clear word of God. We've got to recognize that. That's why when we read through Scripture, like even this letter to the Corinthians, we can understand, in a sense, we can relate to what it's addressing because it's addressing conflict and culture. So, you know, when, when God brings his word to his people and, and, and raises them, if you would, brings them to a born-again relationship, the way they're going to live now is going gonna, gonna to be in conflict because they're going to live according to the word. It's why we can see the third part, born-again people, Bring a lot of baggage. Why do, what do I mean? Born again people bring a lot of baggage. Well, I had interests, you had desires, we had experiences in this world before we we're born again. But now, being born again, we got to decide what goes and st- what stays. If you've ever packed, maybe for a trip, if you ever packed for a trip and when you get there, you realize you packed way too much stuff. You took way too much stuff. You didn't need all of this. Well, isn't that a little bit of a picture of our journey with Jesus? We're still carrying along some stuff that at some point, you gotta stop and clean the pack. You gotta empty the lug. You gotta recognize, I'm just, I've got a lot of baggage. I'm bringing too much stuff from the world as I'm trying to journey along with Jesus. The fourth thing that's essential, and I'm supposed to remember in every generation this is true, the Word of God is the final authority but what if i feel differently what if i relate differently what if i identify differently okay but the word of god is the final is the final authority you know i was thinking about this this morning i just want to identify today as a day of warmth and sunshine and happiness and light so if I can get an umbrella, I can clip a little light to it to shine in my face. I can break out my portable heat gun and warm my heart. I can just say, this is a wonderful, sunshiny day. I identify with it that way. Well, it's sad that it's somewhat humorous, but it's still a rainy day. Just because I try to identify different doesn't change the reality of it. And the word of God is the final authority. What God says is true. And what God instructs is meant to be followed. We're going to see as we go through this today, there were some things in the church in Corinth that were, they're having to sort it out and had to figure it out and they had to say, well, bottom line, the word of God is the final authority and the fifth thing that's necessary and common in a church, in every generation, love never fails. Love never fails. God has proven his love. Love, the action of love was communicated to humanity by the person, Jesus Christ, God in in living form, human form. For God so loved the world that he gave himself. There's that action. And so we see that as the pinnacle, the epitome, if you would, of of love expressed. So we're going to go through a a portion of scripture today in chapter 11 that uh, I I find very uh, important and uh, uh, very awkward. Let's pray. God, thank you for awkward. Thank you for uncomfortable. Thank you for difficult, God. For we know many times when these things are categorized in those fashion, in that that manner, it's because we're just unfamiliar or uncertain about your will, about your word, even about your ways, God. And so I pray as we would approach your word today that you would touch our hearts individually. Lord, you know where each one of us is at. You know... In a sense, what, what needs to be removed from the luggage, what needs to be set aside, what needs to be embraced and held on to. You know, Lord, where we struggle in some areas to perhaps even love. Or perhaps, God, as we are on this journey, we're we're not set sure, we're not solidified, we're not confident your word is the final authority. And Lord, we can't muster that up, we can't just... Make that happen. We ask that you would reveal truth in such a way that we would take hold of it. Your truth would set us free. Your truth would transform us into the people you have called us to be. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for your presence and your power. Walk us through today. Teach us all that you desire for us to know, that we may continue on the course eager, Lord, eager to speak your truth, to walk in light, and to express your love. Thank you, God. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As I've said, I love teaching the Bible more, more uh, accurately or descriptively. I love teaching verse by verse, step by step. Partly, it keeps me in check as a, as a leader. I don't get to cherry pick, grab the favorite passages, teach a little love teach on forgiveness, teach on money, do all these kind of things, just kind of selectively cruise through what's maybe preferred. I get to, we get to go through every passage and work through it. So we're on a passage today that I find very interesting, and I think it's important that we we see it. We're going to start into it. I'm going to give you a little outline for it as we move along. But in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 1, we have the Apostle Paul as the instrument by which the word of God is coming forth. We error if we put too much emphasis upon the instrument. It's, we can also error if we ignore the instrument. We are told that Paul is the messenger, so therefore we want to recognize that, but we don't want to idolize that, nor do we want to say, well, that's just Paul's opinion. It's the word of God. And so Paul says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Literally, what he is conveying to you and me is, follow my example as I follow the Lord. So as he's following the Lord, he's aware that other people are aware of how he's living. And it's a very important thing for you and I to, to recognize that there's times when, you know, people are, are observing and following you, and you don't even know it sometimes. They're, they're looking from a distance or learning, you know, from a ways off. He's saying just imitate. It speaks of the word mimic. You know, do what I do as I follow the Lord. And I want to encourage you, let that kind of soak in and recognize in your own life, there may be times you don't want to do it for yourself. Agreed? I know that about me. There's times that I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm a typical male. There's moments where I'm self-destructive. I'll self-sabotage. I just know that. I, I'll just do dumb things. And I know that about myself. I was in worse shape when I didn't identify that. But now that I realize, I won't necessarily do the best thing for me, but I will when I consider my wife and family. I will when I consider the friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. It starts keeping me in my my perspective, in a a better, a more clear perspective, if you would. So I want to encourage you, just allow that to be something that just soaks in you. Follow, be an example that others could follow, because people are looking for someone to follow right now. They're wanting to see the power of God, the truth of the gospel, the reality of a living relationship with the living God manifested in their workplace. They want to see it in their school. They want to see it wherever they are. They want to see a real version of what they call religion. They, 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 don't, they actually don't even want religion. They just want to see something legit and real. So, imitate as I follow the Lord, he says. In verse 2, he says, Now I praise you, brethren that you remember me in all things and keep the tra- traditions just as I deliver them to you. The word I'd key on here, first of all, we see that he's, he's commending them for following the instruction. He's acknowledging that they received what he brought to them, and he kept the, or they kept the traditions. Traditions there, you want to see that those were practices learned from following the Lord. These were practices that were handed off by the apostles and the church of Paul. Now, we do know that the traditions of men can be a challenge, right? Because what are the traditions of men? It's things that are just handed off. And someone someone might say, well, why do we always do it that way? We always have. And then guess what? You now have traditions of men furthered just out of historical preference. Jesus actually kind of got up in the face, the grill a little bit of the Pharisees because they were promoting and presenting the traditions of men at the expense of the word of God. In other words, the traditions were more important than the actual word of God. And so you want to be careful. What Paul is speaking of here, he's like, you guys held on to these, these things that we shared with you, with the things from the apostles. I believe it's, <coughs> excuse me, I believe it's things related to the following context that we'll look into how the home was to be in a Christian family, how the interaction in the gatherings was to be in a Christian fellowship. And they they were learning these things because you realize they come out of a culture that was very immoral, very unethical, it was very sensual. And so here they're trying to learn how to live and love at a higher level, and they're, they're having to learn as they go. And Paul says, I commend you. I thank you for that. It's good to remember and practice what you've been taught. It's good for you, and it's encouraging for a leader. If you're a leader, you know what I'm talking about. If it's in the home and you're teaching your kids, and they don't do what you taught them to do, you don't go, well, it's was a good day. They didn't do anything I said, but I feel good about it. You know, it can be a challenge, but it's good to to put into practice what you learn. Now, we're moving now into this next section, beginning in verse 3. This section of Scripture, like most passages, it requires a, a contextual understanding. What I mean is we need to first see the overall and then keep that in mind as we look into the individual principles. Um, problems arise when we take words or sentences out of context and then build our opinion or, our, or we, we do this dissection apart from the overall view. Get so focused on, oh, well, this right here. I think you have experienced it, I presume. I know I have. There's been more than once that I... As a young Christian, looked at one portion and used that as a motivational sentence. It's super motivational because it's got a address in it. You know what I'm saying? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's like, well, you need to know the context for that, correct? There's all these passages that are sometimes, I call them bumper sticker passages. They look good on a bumper sticker, you know, and they do convey a principle concisely. You want to see the context. You've got to see how it all sits together. I believe there's also in this portion there a cultural consideration at the heart of the instructions that follow in this passage. We want to realize that something's been laid out and things have been conveyed in these first 11 chapters. And we want to let them also kind of influence how we process this chapter. Specifically, we could t- consider 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Paul had this mindset. He conveyed it coming through this, to this, this letter. He was concerned for the soul of individuals. He was not so wrapped up in the temporal as the eternal. He wanted to have eternity. He chose to have eternity in view. So some of the motivation, some of the goals, some of the drives that people had, he, he, he didn't embrace necessarily. Because he said, you know, I, I want to, my, my goal is that I would, I would be a servant that I might be able to present the gospel. He goes on to say in that same chapter, chapter 9, verse 22, to the weak I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some he realized his influence, his presence, his interaction was an avenue by which the truth of the gospel could come to people. And so realizing that, he's saying, I I, I can't, I don't want to put an emphasis on this or that when it actually would undermine or hurt this person here. So that being the backdrop, let's read verses 3 to 16 and catch the context and then we'll walk through a verse at a time. Let me lube the pipe here. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head was shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn but if it is a shame for her for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither... Is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord? For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman, but all things are from God. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we do not have such custom, nor do the churches of God. All right, we could probably just skip to 17, because I don't think there's any questions about what that says. I think it's pretty clear and concise and specific, but, but you know, we'll, we'll settle into it, obviously. A very interesting text, to say the least, right? Uh, it's one of those you you look at and go, wow, what's going on? Well, let's just take it, as we've now caught the context, let me put an emphasis on verse 16, if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. This is instruction, but not a commandment. And we're going to see how, these all, how this would fit together as we glance up at verse 3. We see God's design for order, authority, and accountability. When he speaks of there in verse 3, the head of every man, the head of woman, the head of Christ, we see the word head, it speaks of chief. It speaks of, of source, of authority, uh, of accountability. And so what's being conveyed there, and, and it's uh, easy to, to agree, it, it's right and appropriate for the body to be submitted to the head. And in that particular section, he's talking about this order. Now, when I mention order, we got to consider there's the, the chronological, but then there's also the order by way of authority. But I'll say it first and come back to it later. Don't confuse authority with superiority. It's not. Just because someone has authority doesn't imply that someone under that authority is inferior. See, it's not an issue of superiority and inferiority. It's just order and authority, even accountability. The created order for man. We know there was God. He was not created. He existed. It does exist, always has. And then there was Adam, and then there was Eve. And so, every man is under Christ's authority. I, I, see, I see it in this context, and we can get, get, gather it from uh, Genesis chapter 2, and even you could read on into chapter 3. We have this, this created order for man. Man and woman are under God's authority. But he created it in this sense of order because, you know, it's really God's design. Um, every woman by order is under man, and all are under the God the Father's authority. So when we see this, we want to realize um, principles influence our practice. When we understand where we live, we can make some slight adjustments to accommodate cultural misunderstandings, if you would. So what, where am I saying? So we have this laid out, very simple, rather concise, a little awkward to work through there, verse 3, but I think it's simple. And he goes on to say, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. So this practice, what, what's what's being presented? What's, what is he speaking of um, that has some potential for cultural misunderstandings? Well, when a m saying that when a man prays, or prophesies, prophesying, praying would be communicating with God, prophesying would be more specific to bringing the Word of God forward to men, and God's Word in a given situation, if you would. And so, you know, the wearing of a hat, would that interfere functionally? Let's just think about the function. Would it interfere? You and I both know that wearing a hat with your favorite team's logo on it will not block your prayers from entering the throne of grace. Well, maybe a Rams hat or a Chiefs hat might be. I picked on the NFC for a service, you know. So, I got, you know. so here's the thing. Does, does that Think about this practically, functionally. Is, is wearing a ball cap or something in our culture does it have anything to do with the efficiency or effectiveness of prayer? It does not. It does not. Okay, so what's, 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 what's going on here? What's being taken? What's being said? Well, as we looked at some verses related to how it affects people. If I was to come up here and wear a hat, a blank hat, and I was to pray, there would be people who go, wait a minute, he shouldn't be wearing a hat while he prays, correct? There are people that would would see that. And, And so would I then say, you need to study your Bible more? You need to know the Bible better? Or do I take off my hat? you just take off your hat. You just don't make a big deal about issues that are not a big deal. Now, why I'm presenting to you is like, you know, he's saying here in that culture, it was an issue. It was a big issue. Head coverings, you know, they represented being under authority. So if you're under someone's authority, then you taking that head covering off, especially for women, represented defiance. He moves from men to women, and to use, say, if a man in, in that culture, is head's covered, he dishonors his head, and if a woman who prays without her head covered, you know, it's one and the same as if she had shaved her head. I want you to take note in verse 5 and 6 that the women did pray, and they did prophesy, because I believe we can look back, just even, say, limit it to a hundred years, in Western civilization, or we could even narrow it down to American um, Christian history. And there was a time, a season, of uh, an overbearing, a strong male chauvinism, uh, a misunderstanding of Scripture, where men believed, they, they they, they didn't read the Scripture accurately, and they believed that they were the ones to rule with authority. That part was true. But they were to rule in love, in submission to one another, And what practically happened is there became this overbearing emphasis that the man makes all the decisions and the woman's supposed to just submit. And the end result or perception, oftentimes women felt they couldn't speak up and the man wouldn't shut up. And so you end up with this problem. There's just this overbearingness. But it wasn't God's design. It's not his design for water. You know, women, we know, were a part of the early church, an active part, a vibrant part of the early church, and continue to be. But how do we, you know, how do we apply it currently, contemporarily? Let me say one more thing about male chauvinism. Male chauvinism will be there whenever there's males there. Okay. Oh, you got to be kidding me. No, it's just, na- it's just our, our nature. It's just reality. It should be you know, under submission. It should be given to God and then erased, eradicated if you would. But we're foolish to say well, our tendency is not this way or that way. It's a part of misunderstanding leadership and how to lead. It's easier to rule with an iron fist than a soft heart. Because a soft heart is hard to figure out how to do things firmly, and so it goes. Anyway, let's take a look at this. When you consider these women, they did prophesy, they did pray. Now, culturally, it does not represent the same thing in Western culture that it does in many Eastern cultures. To wear a hat here is more fashion and a little bit of function. So Kim didn't sit in first service, so I talked about her. So I, you guys are going to have to check that. I can't talk about her because she's sitting here this time. But nonetheless, okay, I'll talk about her. She's got way too many hats. <laughs> Some of you know that. I and mean, we've got hats on the wall. We've got hats on the bed. We have a cat in the hat, probably. I don't know. I, it's like, we got all these hats. And so, you know, when she wears a hat, how much does it have to do with authority? I can tell you. I know her pretty well nothing. It's got everything to do with fashion and function. It means nothing. Now, she goes with me. We've traveled together. We've went to India. In India, in Eastern culture, she wears a covering over her head when she prays. She wears Eastern clothing that is appropriate for the culture because it's that culture. So she covers her head. Now there is a covering. It's, it's more symbolic of authority. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not an issue of superior or inferior. You got, we hope, I hope we can keep that in the forefront. Man and woman are equal before God. Uh, Galatians 3, 28, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither man nor woman. We're all one in Christ. So that's very clear. But order and authority is relevant. And to cover your head in many Eastern cultures is, is an expression of submission. More so, to uncover is to reject authority, to be in defiance of order. And so, do you see what he's was being conveyed here? It's always challenging when we're working through text. We don't want cultural emphasis to be the primary focus when we interpret the Bible. At the same time, We can't just remove it either. Does that make sense? It is presented as something that's cultural. I I would draw your attention back to verse 16. If anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. This is not meant to be a commandment. This is instruction. This is sensitivity. This is awareness of the world that you live in. Let's move back up to verse 7. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he's the image and glory of God, but a woman is the glory of man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, a woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. God's design for humanity is for man and woman to follow God. His order would be for the man and the woman. And there, you know, I could say it's not superiority or inferiority. It's order and authority as man following God and woman following God in order. For the sake of angels, because of the angels. I'm not sure what he's t- clue. I don't know what he's talking about. I kind of have a sense, you know, a little bit, but there's really nothing. And then you'll come across portions of scripture. You just go, interesting. <laughs> okay. And I think our Western minds can't handle that. Let me tell you something. When you look at the universe and you look at the planetary arrangement, you're not in the center. I, I, I just broke a few hearts. I can tell by the response. You're not in the center of the universe. There's so much more that we don't understand. It's so vast. And we realize that God has and does things in ways that are beyond us. And we start realizing, wow, you know, there's, there's things that we'll un- discover later. And, and I, I have a file in my mind. It is imaginative. But this file that basically is to be determined later. And it, it's actually not getting smaller it's getting a little bigger as I go through scripture, time and time and time again. There's things I just don't completely understand. Now, let me throw out a few things that I think are relevant and it makes sense. Angels are in awe of the relationship that man has with God. They're in awe, they're, they're kind of blown away. I'm sure they're just scratching their head like, man, he is so patient with them. He is so tolerant. He oh, is just, oh, man. And sure, we know, you know, it's interesting because angels are an observance of mankind. They see us. They, they know. They know. And they serve, according to Hebrews, there's ministering angels, that serve us, and they do things that we can't even see. And if you read in the, in the Bible and you see where, you know, Gabriel or, or uh, Michael, these what are called archangels, which imply some sense of order and how they're engaging in this spiritual battle, and they're aware of our relationship with the living God, they're in awe. And I ha- can't help but speculate and at least consider that this authority that God has established for humankind, you know, they observe it, And we should be aware that there's just certain things that others are observing, even in the spiritual realm. And they're seeing this order. I don't know, you can dig in deeper. They consider that an assignment. But the angels are aware of how we revere the living God. And so are other people. Moving on to verse 11. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman... Independent of man and the Lord, I find this one interesting because it carries on to verse twelve. A woman came from man, so man also comes from woman. Men, don't get big-headed thinking you're above women because without your mama, you ain't. You ain't. You gotta have your mom. So, isn't it interesting how God has done this? Because this passage can easily kind of, if we pull a portion out, stick it over here, put another one over here, it can be very divisive. It can be very, you know, clumsy between men and women. But yet, you see, it's like God chose to to do something beyond what we would even imagine. Jesus chose to come to mankind through a lowly maiden named Mary. Do you see what I'm saying? Here, Here is God in human form coming through, coming literally to humanity through a virgin birth, through Mary. And Mary, sidebar, bonus point, Mary, her life will be very difficult because of the work God's doing in her life. As a, as a teenager, she was wrongfully treated and, and, and really, you know, horribly treated because she was pregnant out of wedlock. So people jump to conclusions and make assumptions and all these things. And you just can think about it. Jesus chose to come through a woman. That makes it hard to say men are superior, agreed? Men have order, there is authority, but there's not superiority. Jesus chose to come through Mary. Verse 13, judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Well, judge, weigh it out for yourselves. Here's the way I would say you could work through this in a very practical way. What is the reaction when a woman prays with her head uncovered. Very practical. You're in a small group. Maybe it's a mixed group, men and women. And a woman prays without a head covering in your small group at a focus group or a group here or whatever. What's the reaction? That's the same reaction. There is no reaction. There's nothing. Because it's not a cultural issue to us. It's not a thing. Now that same group, as I've said, you know, being in India where your your congregational meetings uh, in many places, most places I've been, are, um, they're separated by gender and, and they have different engagement by gender. May I make a note here? Brace yourself. There's only a man and a woman. That's the only gender options you have if you believe the word of God to be the final authority. And, and I know it's odd that I have to say that knowing that even that statement can get me canceled in some corners. It's really weird, but it's important. It's important. There's a man and there's a woman, and when a woman says she's praying in a group in, say, a a Muslim country or perhaps a uh, you know area where we're at there in India, the reaction is going to be different if she doesn't cover the head. So there, cover the head. Here, don't make a big deal about it. Judge for yourselves. Weigh it out. Which what's going to happen? We should have enough enough sensitivity by way of love and cultural awareness to know where we're at. Judge for yourselves. He goes on to say in verse 14, does not even nature itself teach that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him. Once again, there's generally a visual distinction between man and woman in years gone by. But actually, even in the Corinthian culture, there was a lot of, we'll just say cross-dressing and a lot of oddity. But he's saying basically, there's usually a visual distinction between a man and a woman. Is it wrong for a man to have long hair? I don't have any idea why anybody would want a man bun, but somebody seemed to like, I don't know. But is it, is it okay? I mean, is it, is, it wrong, or is it wrong for a woman to have short hair? Well, not here. Not in Mount Home. Not in America. Not in most of the West. But if you're going to a culture or a place that believes differently, then judge for yourselves. If you're going on that mission trip and you know where you're going as a man, you're going there to help out and do things, and you know that that man bun's a problem, I'll help you cut it. You see what I'm saying? It's not, it's just not make a big deal about it. It's just be aware. You know, if you're going somewhere that's going to be that, just be aware of it. Because he says, I'm not making a commandment, I'm not making this a point of division or contention there in verse 16. But let me say something else that is relevant in regards to how we carry ourselves as Christians because we honor the Lord. This is an issue oftentimes when we're younger, late teens, young adults, and we want to dress a certain way or act a certain way. If you dress like a rebel, don't complain if you're treated like one. You know, you got the sagging pants, you got the look, you're just going for the look, whatever, and you, you know, Walking the street, and you get pulled over, someone walks up, they, they, you know, start, you think they're hassling you? You present an image or association. Don't whine about it when someone treats you according to your presentation. Does that make sense? Because I hear people, and there's a lot of this pushing. There's this whole thing like, oh, they treated me different because I dressed different. Well, you look like a weirdo. And he treated you like a weirdo. You went, you went public weird, and now you're complaining because they said you're weird, it's, it's, it's just weird. I have an editor sometimes that works. <laughs> I said this first service, so it wasn't that bad. There's all these people in October that go into the woods. They're posers. A good portion, vast majority of them have more money than they really need. They buy this expensive camo. They show up in the woods with their high-dollar guns. They couldn't hit a pine cone at five yards. And they're now they're presenting themselves as hunters. They have, you know, some of them have all the skill of a soap dish, and, and they're out in the woods carrying on. And sadly, others will say, oh, a hunter come in and ripped off my stuff. Well, no, somebody in camo did They're presenting themselves as one thing, but that's not what they are, perhaps. I hunt, so I don't mind picking on my fellow hunters, maybe. I don't know. You guys get what I'm saying. When you present yourself a certain way, know that. When you present yourself, that's how people are gonna process it. It's, it's, It's deeper than we realize in our culture. The point of all this is, consider what you're presenting. Verse 16, don't make it a point of contention or dispute. This is not a requirement, this how you pray a certain way and how you do your hair. You just have to have an awareness of where you are. And I know I've got some friends even here today that have traveled the world and have been in different places and they have a great understanding of the word of God because they have a love for God. And when they go to different places, they don't like compromise, but rather they recognize the place that I'm at has a different view on how I carry myself. And I'll be considerate of the way they are, because I'm not going to ruin my witness because I have this liberty or this freedom to do something differently. Uh, ultimately, we refrain from doing things that would hinder the gospel. That's what Paul said, because he had this right. He could have been, you know, compensated, if you would, but in chapter nine, verse 12, the latter part of that verse, he says, "You know we have this right, but we endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. I hope that can be resonant in our conscious mind or forefront where we realize, I don't want to do anything to hinder the gospel. I don't want to just do what I can do and interfere, if you would, because I exercise my liberty to live a certain way, but then that closed the door. The door was slightly open to shine the light of truth into the heart of a soul but I closed it because I wanted to be me type of mentality. So let's run back through what we started with, and then we're going to prepare our hearts for communion. We started with the five points. The church in every generation, every age since the resurrection of Jesus has had some common characteristics. Jesus is Lord. That's where we begin. Culture conflicts with the clear word of God. You're going to have confrontation. There's going to be conflict. It's, it's, It's obvious. There's two different worlds if you would there's the old man and then there's a new person born again this new creature new creation in christ when we know that then we learn how to work through it born again people bring a lot of baggage look through your luggage it may be time to look through your luggage i have hiked i've done backpacking and when you're backpacking you know real quick that you pack too much because it's not on an airplane it's on your frame It's on your back, and you're going to sort through it. So, look through your luggage. The Word of God is the final authority. The Word of God is the final authority. We should have empathy, concern, compassion for those in our culture right now who have been misled, deceived, and continue to be in regards to gender, in regards to how they identify. Because it is a very vicious, a very malicious, and a very mean mentality that would teach you can change and you can do this, because you know what that's saying about the Word of God. God made a mistake. He meant to put you in a woman's body, but it put you in a man's body, or he he, he got it wrong, so therefore you need to change. No, he didn't get it wrong. He doesn't make mistakes. And so we're living in a time, like I say, I even in these things, I, I've already said this once first service, and, you know, you, you just... People want to counsel you because you speak so concisely, so clearly. This is not me. Can we agree? God created a man and a woman. Culture is invading your values. Culture is undermining your foundation. And you'll either stand firm on the, the word of God as the final authority with kindness, empathy, and compassion when you engage with people, or you'll get ran over. You'll get smashed by it. I, I, I hold true to the word of God is the final authority. What if if it's uncomfortable? Still the final authority. What if it's difficult? Still the final authority. It still is the truth of ages. And then never forget, love never fails. Love never fails. There are better ways to communicate. There's better ways to engage. Each one of us can learn as we grow, learn as we go, on how to engage in our culture and know how to interact with people.